can begin by turning to the book of Exodus. We are in Advent, but we're only going to have a two-week Advent sermon series. So that'll begin on the 18th and finish up on the 24th. But Exodus is where we'll be in this morning. So Exodus chapter 5. And as you're turning there, about a month ago, um, I had the privilege to head back to Norman, Oklahoma for a a baseball reunion. Now now reunions of, of any sort are always a little awkward for an introvert like myself. But I not only wanted to see a couple of my old teammates from college, I really wanted to walk around and see my old stomping grounds, reminisce on all the Lord has accomplished in my life in 11 years since I left that place. Because my time in Norman was was such a short season in my life, I, I did not anticipate how many memories would come flooding through my mind on this short two day trip. I got there a little early, so I was able to have some alone time on campus. And and the thing that was impressed upon me right away was just a deep gratitude. Gratitude that God has held me for these 11 years. When I was at OU, I, I was zealous, but my theology was pretty whack. I, I, I couldn't help but to be praising God for, for, for everything he's brought me through over this last decade, but also that my theology had come a long way. But it didn't take long after sounding like the Pharisee in one of Jesus's parables, I thank you, Lord, that I'm no longer like that immature college Rick. Now I understand the doctrines of grace and can comprehend the fine points of new covenant theology. That I started to remember a little bit more about that college kid all these years ago. I had just given my life to Christ and I was all in. I woke up every morning blown away by the fact that God saved a wretch like me. That I was a Christian. My redemption, namely from being a slave to sin an enemy of God to becoming a friend of God, a slave to righteousness was the one song I played over and over and over again. Came out in everything I did from time in worship and prayer to reading the word and journaling from from sharing the gospel to my teammates and strangers on campus to my walk-up songs at the baseball games. I, I couldn't move past the fact that God saved me, that God redeemed me by the blood of my Savior, and that he wants to redeem others. As I started to remember this Rick, arrogance quickly turned to conviction, and I couldn't help but to ask myself at the end of that first day, if I've lost that first love, do I still sit in awe by the fact that God redeemed me. What about you? As as we head into Advent this year, have you lost a bit of your first love? Like, can you remember back to when you first became a Christian? What was that like? How did you experience God? Do you remember reveling in the fact that God redeemed you? That God saved you, even if you grew up in the church. Has that 
ever taken your breath away? Does it still take your breath away? Or have you lost a bit of that first love? Throughout the book of Exodus, we are going continue, to continue to see God bringing a visual definition to the name he revealed to Moses in Genesis chapter 3. I am who I am. This morning, God is going to reveal something about himself that has not yet been revealed. Not even to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What God is going to show Moses in this passage is something about his character that should never be forgotten, that should be fanned into flame, especially during Advent. For those of us who do feel like we've lost a bit of our first love, well, what God wants to show us this morning, church, has the potential to get us back on the narrative. So Exodus chapter five, if you're not there, we'll begin in verse one. We're going to go all the way through verse seven of chapter seven. So got to work quick. If you remember from last week, we, we left off with Moses and Aaron telling the people of Israel all that God told Moses. And after he performed the signs, contrary to Moses's doubts that they would not believe, They actually believed. More than just having a belief, they they got down on their knees and they worshiped God. So let's pick up the story in verse 1 of chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Some of you guys are like, festival in the wilderness? When did he say that? You're not wrong. Before we go any further, timid Moses has got all sorts of swag now. The, 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 The people believed in him. So he goes to Pharaoh without the elders that God told him to bring and with a different message than what the Lord gave them. Oh, Moses. Look at verse two. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. What Pharaoh says here will be answered over the next 10 chapters. Who is the Lord? But don't be fooled. This is not ignorance. Like, like who is the Lord? Moses, I actually never heard of him. Can we grab some coffee and you can answer some of my questions? No, we know that amongst The Egyptians during this time, Pharaoh himself was seen as God. This was the status attributed to the Egyptian king, and he exercised total authority over his people. Pharaoh is saying, who the heck is Yahweh? And you think I care? I don't. I don't acknowledge him. One scholar says Pharaoh is declining to recognize Yahweh's authority. He is laying down his own gauntlet for the fight that Yahweh also wishes to have. Who is the Lord? Well, Pharaoh is about to find out as we get to witness over these next several chapters the showdown of the gods. Moses, who who must have forgotten what God said, that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, gets back on script to what God actually told them to say. Look at verse 3. 
Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or the sword. And Pharaoh's response, verse 4, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. After, <clears throat> after Moses is, is possibly surprised by Israel's acceptance to his message, he's totally shocked now by Pharaoh's rejection. Even though God told him this is exactly how it was going to work out. But, but Moses, for some reason, thought that right away things would be getting better for his people. But on the contrary, things get worse. Quick. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and Israelite overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Yikes. Verse 10 and following, they deliver that message to Israel. So you can just imagine how let down the Israelites must have felt. Just one day ago, they are worshiping God on their knees because of what Moses and Aaron told them their future was going to look like. And now they hear this message. Like imagine the tears of joy they had as they went to bed the night before. Finally done with being a slave, a, a brighter future for their kids. But wait, now our slavery is only going to intensify? And it's one thing to hear that tough message. It's another thing to try doing it, which they can't. Look at verse 14. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? The, the Delta region of, of Egypt, where this is all taking place, lacks any kind of natural stone. So if you want to construct buildings, you need to mix clay with straw. And now they are on their own to find this straw. The injustice of slavery just became oppression impossible. Verses 15 and 16, the, the, the Israelite overseers, they, they bypass the slave drivers who are beating them and somehow they end up at the throne of Pharaoh himself. We can't do this, man. This is impossible, is what they tell him. Why are you treating us like this? We've been nothing but faithful slaves for all of these years. Pharaoh, come on. Look at Pharaoh's response, verse 17. Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. Get out of my face. No straw for you. Verses 19 to 21, these dudes leave Pharaoh and where do they go? They head straight for Moses and Aaron. 
this is all y'all's fault. Verse 21, may the Lord look on you and judge you. Oh boy, how, how in the world is, is, is Moses, the Enneagram 9, the sensitive to criticism, Moses, how, how is he going to take this? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Moses returns to the Lord, but not to take refuge in him. He returns to the Lord to blame God. Sounds a lot like his his great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. Fortunately, often it sounds kind of like us, right? Moses is tripping. Like, like, Like God clearly told him. That he was going to harden Pharaoh's, harden Pharaoh's heart. He told him that in Mark's passage last week. He's going to say that again at the end of our passage this morning. What does Moses think hardening of hearts looks like? Moses is, is out to lunch, blaming God for not rescuing his people the way Moses thought the rescuing should look like. But before we move on to God's wonderful speech to Moses... And it is glorious. It is the summit of our passage this morning. I have to ask, is this not us? We we know from God's word that our lives should be full of trials, tribulations, suffering, persecution as followers of Christ. And yet how do we often respond when things don't go exactly the way that we planned them to go? Do we even return to God at all? And if we do, is it in trust of him or is it to point our finger? Moses loses the narrative by blaming God instead of trusting God. But like we continue to see in the book of Exodus, God continues to show Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God very gently reminds Moses of the narrative. Yeah, I'm still in control. Remember when Pharaoh asked you, Moses, Who is the Lord? Yeah, I'm going to show him. Just relax chill out. But I'm not only going to show him something. I have something else to reveal to you, Moses. Look at verse 2. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Whoa, let's let's pause here for a second. Did you catch that? God said, I revealed myself to the people of God in Genesis, to your forefathers, by my name, God Almighty, or El Shaddai. 
If you know the covenant God made with Abraham, Genesis 17.1 says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. But the name Yahweh, I am who I am, this is new territory, Moses. Is that all that's happening here? Not quite. We do have the name Yahweh in Genesis, so Exodus is not the first time it shows up. But remember, Moses did write Genesis as well, so was he doing what many biographers will do when they call someone by their nickname while explaining their childhood, even if they got that nickname later on in life? Maybe. But either way, here's the actual point. What this passage is saying is there's an aspect to the character of God, Yahweh. Not simply the name, but Yahweh himself, an aspect to his character that our passage says was not fully known to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Part of who God is was not revealed to the patriarchs like it's about to be revealed to Moses. Let's keep reading. Here comes the climax to our passage this morning. Verse 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you from out who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now, what does all this mean? Why is this speech so important? And what is God revealing about himself that hasn't yet been revealed? We need to do a little Bible Hermeneutics, so some, some Bible interpretation. So strap on your seatbelts for a minute or two. In Hebrew literature, whenever you see a chiasm, I mean, you could throw that on the screen, Blake. Whenever you see it, see a chiasm, you know God wants to make a point loud and clear. A chiasm is a sequence of ideas which will be presented and then repeated in the reverse order, leaving you, the reader, with something in the middle. The big idea. This becomes the takeaway. So you can move to, you can move to the next slide. So verse six A, the beginning of the speech and the end of the speech, verse eight B, brackets this whole conversation. I am the Lord. You can move to, to the next slide. This is verse six B and eight A. And and, and, and and this is this has that bringing out idea. Bringing you out from under the burdens. I will bring you into the land I swore. Which leaves us with C, our next slide. This is the takeaway from God's message to Moses. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You will be my people. And I will be your God. If you know your Bibles, you know this phrase comes up all over the scriptures. But it's first revealed here in Exodus chapter 6. 
God is saying, Moses, I remember my covenant with Abraham and through this redemption that you're about to witness in Egypt, I will take Israel out of slavery and make them my people, my possession. I am is not only a covenant keeping God worthy of our trust, but a God who redeems a people for himself. As we will see, this is what the book of Exodus is all about. God making himself known through the redemption of a people. Pastor in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Mike Bullmore says, the entire Bible is Exodus shaped. I think he's right, but, but why is he right? Because the entire Bible is redemption shaped. Our God is in the business of redemption. Why do you think we're called Redemption Parker? This is kind of a big deal. If you're a Christian here this morning, Israel's redemption from slavery to freedom is simply a shadow, a foretaste of our reality, our experience. We were slaves to sin, enemies of God, living in darkness, on a path to eternal destruction, following the God of this world, Satan. But God redeems. To save his people from their sin, a savior had to be born. This savior, unlike Moses, was more than a man, the son of God incarnate, fully man and fully God. Merry Christmas. By Jesus' sinless life, obedience to the Father, sacrificial death on a cross for our sin, and victorious resurrection from the dead, when he ascended to the right hand of God, redemption was accomplished once and for all. When we place our faith, our allegiance in Jesus as God's redeeming king, that redemption is applied. Applied to you. Applied to me. Psalm 107.2. The psalmist says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Crickets. Yesterday at, at a any Jewish temple around, if the rabbi were to read that text, Psalm 107.2, the congregation would shout, Amen, extremely loud. They reject Jesus. So let's try this again. Psalm 107.2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Yeah, there you go. That was louder than the first service. Good job, guys. <laughs> But if that redemption accomplished by Christ is not yet your story, come to him this Advent by faith alone and see that redemption be applied to you. Do you, for the rest of us, do you still sit in awe at your redemption? If you're a Christian, we all have the same testimony. 
Whether you were born in the church and you don't remember a time you didn't believe or if you lived like a pagan for most of your life and then came to Christ, God's redeemed people have the same story. We were dead and now we are alive. Or like Paul in Colossians says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. Do you still sit in awe by the fact that God redeemed you? Before we jump into some application, let's quickly finish our passage. Um, Moses, after hearing this powerful speech from God, he gets excited, as he should, and so he wants to go and tell the people of Israel what God just said. Look at verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. After God reassures Moses that he will redeem them in verse 10 and 11, Moses' response in verse 12 and 30 show us that, like many of us, Moses is an emotional roller coaster. He goes back to looking inward to finding an excuse. So it's his speech impediment again. Yeah, God, I can't actually lead. I can't talk very well. After all God has shown Moses and told Moses, he still isn't getting it. Man, I don't know about y'all, but this is extremely encouraging. For those of us stumbling forward, like Mark said last week, our God will not quit on us. When he begins a good work, he will bring it to completion. After the seemingly random genealogy in verses 14 to 25, which isn't random at all, to, to know someone, you need to know who they belong to. That's the reason for the genealogy. Moses and Aaron aren't some random cats off the street trying to lead Israel. They are part of ethnic Israel from the line of Levi. But then God does say, okay, Moses, for every one look at self, let's take 10 looks back at me. In verse 1 of chapter 7, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. God is saying, God is saying, let's stick to my plan, Moses. He continues to remind Moses what he should have already known. Verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord who stretched out my hand against Egypt to bring the Israelites out of it. Our passage began this morning with Pharaoh asking Moses, who is the Lord? The passage ends with the Lord saying, bro, you're about to find out. Though the Israelites are doubting Moses' message, though Moses himself is bold one minute and then wanting to quit the next, God isn't flinching. God's plan to redeem a people for himself has not budged. And like we continue to see, Moses and Aaron 
stumble forward. Look how our passage ends. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. These old guys rule, right? Verse 7 tells us they are 80 and 83 years old to be exact. And they are stumbling forward in obedience to the God who just revealed himself as their redeemer. It's never too late to follow God. Moses needs a lot of reminders as we continue to see God graciously gives them to him. Our application this morning is simple. As God's people, God's redeemed people, God's chosen possession, rejoice in your redemption. That's our application. Rejoice in your redemption. We need to be a people who never lose the narrative of our redemption. When was the last time you sat in awe by the sheer fact that in Christ, God redeemed you? This is the reason we we celebrate Christmas, right? She will give birth to a son and you are to give him name, give him the name Jesus because he will save or redeem his people from their sin. Matthew 121. Before I left for college, I'll never forget what my brother and I used to do in our room when we first became Christians. 15 years ago, the Lord had just rescued us from darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, whom we now had received redemption. Alec and I, who some of you guys remember from the summer, who's now a pastor in California, we'd throw on some loud worship music, but there was one song, it was called Say So. Say So by Israel Houghton. He was the worship leader at Joel Osteen's church. I told you my theology wasn't great. But this song was our jam. We would literally go crazy. I mean, running around our room. I'm 20 years old at this time. Hugging each other. Falling on our knees in worship. Crying. Jumping off our mattresses. The chorus of the song was, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, say so, say so. We didn't know all you had to say was amen. (laughs) These, These two kids who just several months prior loved to smoke weed with each other and play video games are now screaming at the top of our lungs, shouting and jumping, not because we were high, but because we were redeemed. Purchased by God to be his people. Until this week when I put that song back on in my office, I hadn't done that in a while. Shame on me. How easy is it, church, to lose our first love? To not daily sit in awe at our redemption. In the Gospels, Jesus sends out his disciples to go and do the work. They come back to him stoked. They're so excited. And in their excitement, they tell Jesus, Jesus, even the demons submit to your name. 
Remember what Jesus says? He says, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice that you are redeemed. (laughs) Friends, whatever you may be going through right now, and I know the holidays can be the best of times and the worst of times for folks. Whatever season you find yourself in, don't lose our redemption narrative. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Like, are you serious? What more do we need to hear? Let's rejoice in our redemption. What is our only hope in life and death? That's question one of our New City Catechism. That we are not our own, but belong to God. He is our God, and we are his people. Imagine if Redemption Parker wasn't just the the name of our church, but it was our identity. It was our culture, a people redeemed. I felt awful the other day at, 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 at men's group because I was ripping on the sports soccer and uh, it was at the Calls house and Brian Call reminded me that, that Cassie, um, Cassie played college soccer. So, so in, in penance, I, that was a joke, um, in penance, I, um, I actually watched my first soccer match ever on Good Friday, okay? So, 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 I, so I will say to all the soccer fans out there, I was wrong. Soccer is a good sport. Just riveting. I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Skills on display. Although I don't know what sport ends with the same score it started with and no winner announced. But that's another conversation for another day. But the most impressive thing that I saw on Friday, other than some of the handling skills, was those fans, right? I mean, talk about all in intense. Both USA and England, who I watched, have all sorts of divisions in their country. (laughs) But when they came around their soccer team, total unity, oneness. In in my opinion, the the camera spent too much attention on what was happening on the field. We should have been scanning the, the fans. Faces painted, high fives, hugs, synchronized chants. Church, we can find all sorts of things to disagree on and be mad about even, divide over. But what if we were a people truly obsessed with our redemption, our shared redemption, a people living out the life of the redeemed? Rejoicing in our redemption, proclaiming to others how they can get in on it too, and by living our lives in a manner worthy, worthy of people called God's redeemed. I will be your God and you will be my people. We saw that phrase for the first time revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 6. Through redemption, God is calling a people. For those of us in Christ, we are that people, the church, the blood-bought bride of Christ. As we close, I want us to listen to Revelation 21, so the end of the story. 
We have, if you're a Christian, experienced redemption in part. But one day we will experience it on a whole nother level. Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, that's us, beautifully dressed for her husband, that's Jesus. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for salvation, God. Thank you for the reminder in Exodus as we head into Advent that the reason for this season is that the Son of God came to redeem a people for his own possession. God, help us as your people called Redemption Parker. Help us never to graduate from the gospel, the gospel of grace that redeems us through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Lord, we love you. Help us to go from here reveling in the fact that we are yours. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.